Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Every headline, every analyst, every pundit, every politician, to a lot of everyday Americans support tough sanctions against Russia as punishment for invading Ukraine. But what if kicking them off the SWIFT banking network wouldn't be enough? Is there something beyond the headlines? Is there something in the recent pages of history that might help us craft a better policy uh, that would put a bigger squeeze on Russia and hopefully put an end to the atrocities? Uh, Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, anytime we're trying to look past what everyone else is talking about, look a little deeper, uh, try to look at it from a little different angle, we always look to our folks at R Street. Uh, Phil Rossetti is a resident senior fellow at the R Street Institute and raised some great questions in terms of where we are. It's easy to jump on that sanctions bandwagon, and those are an important piece of the puzzle. But let's get past the headline and dig in just a little deeper, and uh, we're grateful to have Phil on the program with us today. Phil, thanks for chiming in. Thank you for having me. So as as you have looked at this and analyzed it, uh, there are some some historical things. We always forget to check the history first. Uh, so give us a little bit of the history in terms of where we've been with Russia and some of these kinds of sanctions. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so this isn't really the first round of sanctions on Russia. In fact, there are already a lot of sanctions in place against Russia uh, because of its 20, uh, 2014 invasion of Ukraine where they annexed Crimea. Uh, So what we're seeing now is sort of this extension and further stringency of the sanctions. Uh, The SWIFT network removal of certain Russian banks is certainly the most punishing. Uh, These sanctions are having a big effect. I think it's important to to point that out. They're clearly inflicting a lot of economic pain. Uh, But the way Russia has been able to weather these sanctions in the past is that they still export a huge amount of oil and gas, and those are traded in foreign currencies which creates this steady supply of revenue for them. And almost perversely, as the sanctions are more and more punishing against Russia, uh, that actually reduces their cost to produce these resources because in the local currency, it increases the value of these resources in the local currency and allows it to support more and more of the budget. So about 40% of Russia's uh, government is paid for by these 
oil and gas revenues, and it's going to be even more as the ruble falls. Uh, and Phil, that's, these are all such great points. I, I'm going to have you dig in just a little bit on, on some of these for our listeners. So, uh, one, this idea that, uh, of course, in, here in America, we have independent energy companies, but in Russia, as you said, 40% of uh, that government revenue is coming because those gas and oil companies are government-owned gas and oil companies. That's right. That's right. These are state-owned enterprises. So this is uh, you know, kind of a common misconception. We hear a lot about energy policy. People often assume that all of the energy production is controlled by you know, Western companies that are private and, uh, and operate under sort of the rules that we have. But really, it's a lot of companies like Aramco, and in Russia's case, you have uh, Gazprom and Rosneft uh, that are state-owned enterprises. More than half of them are, are owned by the Russian government, even though uh, they are traded publicly. Uh, and as a result, uh, mo- a big chunk of this revenue is going to the government. So uh, Europe pays, you know, about 80 to 100 billion euros for Russian energy every year. Uh, and that is a, a big chunk of that is just supporting the Russian budget. And the Russian military budget is about 60 billion USD. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, certainly uh, not a stretch to say that these exports are actually uh, supporting their war effort against Ukraine. So we, we really need to look at the energy uh, sanctions as an option to uh, curtail their budget. Yeah, and and you mentioned the uh, the falling value of the ruble, and, and I just want to uh, – that just struck me so profoundly that – so the ruble's going down, so that actually makes it cheaper for Russia to produce that oil and natural gas, but then those commodities, oil and natural gas, are sown, uh, are sold – in foreign currencies, often the U.S. dollar. Exactly. Uh, you know, that's it's not the Europeans sending rubles to, to Russia. <laughs> They're saying euros and dollars. Uh, so when you think about the importance of sanctions, so the, the big uh, factor at play here is uh, to keep in mind that uh, the value of a currency is really the same as any other value. It's a function of the supply and the demand. Mm-hmm. So the sanctions are reducing people's need for rubles. That reduces the demand. And it's also hurting the supply of their foreign currencies. But since we're actually, you know, essentially buying these commodities in the foreign currency, this is helping to diminish the effect of the sanctions against them. uh, Because while the ruble essentially becomes worthless, uh, they still have uh, these resources that command a high value and are able to uh, sustain them for purchases that aren't under sanction. Yeah. And so as you look at that, what are the things that we should be kind of obviously we got to think again about some of these sanctions in terms of what they're doing. But what else we need to add to them or how we need to modify? Uh, We know there's been rumblings from Speaker Pelosi and from Joe Manchin and others just saying, hey, let's uh, let's end the uh, the oil flow there uh, as part of this. What else should we be thinking about? Well, I think a a big part of it is going to be thinking about our ability to uh, supplant Russian production, uh, especially for Europe. So when we look at Russian oil production, uh, about half of their exports go to Europe uh, and close to half it goes to Asia. And the natural gas is about three quarters of their exports go to Europe. Uh, that is, and Europe gets you know basically 40% of its natural gas from Russia and about 28% or 27% of their uh, petroleum products from Russia. So if we want to, you know, improve Europe's ability to resist Russia and say, hey, you know, we're not going to keep sending you money. Uh, We need to actually provide exports that are going to fill that gap, because as long as they're beholden to Russia, they're going to keep buying it and we're still going to have this problem. 
Uh, but it's really painful for them to just try to cut off the spigots or, or put sanctions immediately on that sector. Yeah, that's uh, that that is a, a a big ask, and I think it's it's one that has many here in America uh, wondering why we slowed down a year ago. That we were a net energy exporter, uh, but of course, with some of the reductions and reducing uh, the number of gas leases and uh, pipelines and so on. Uh, is, is that part of why we are where we are? Uh, so I always want to be careful about these because what I say is they didn't help, <laughs> but uh, we still <laughs> are, you know, sure. major. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, it's we're still a big, uh, the, you know, the world's biggest producer of both oil and natural gas. Uh, you know, we could maybe have had higher production than we had. Uh, but it's hard to know to what effect you know, these policies might have inhibited or, or delayed that because a lot of this stuff is happening over a multi-year timeline. Mm. So I think about leases, for example, you know, that can be two, five years. So, uh, so you know, how many were affected, it's hard to know. But when we look at uh, natural gas export opportunities, LNG terminal approvals, uh, there's clearly been you know, not really a lot of support for uh, expanding these operations and sort of the, the current energy policy in, in the United States. Uh, so I think that's something that the administration should revisit and think about. Uh, is there an energy security angle that's been underappreciated, uh, especially when we think about Russia's ability to influence our allies in Europe? Yeah, fantastic. Great insight as always. Phil Rossetti, resident fellow, senior fellow at the R Street Institute. Phil, thanks for chiming in today. Great insight. Thank you for having me. So a lot to think about there. Uh, it's so that is just so interesting to me. You know, a lot of people have looked on and and saw the ruble value fall and think, oh, that's great, it's working, it's working. Uh, but remember, there's more to it. So that's actually reducing the cost to Russia to produce that oil and natural gas because they're dealing in rubles. But then remember that oil and gas are traded in U.S. dollars or other foreign currency, meaning that that's coming in at a higher value. Uh, and where does that go? Uh, as Phil rightly pointed out, a lot of that is going to fund the not just the government. Forty percent of Russia's uh, government income comes through oil and natural gas. It's also how they fund the military. Lots to think about. Uh, very complicated things for the White House and for Congress to think about in terms of these sanctions. But I, I'm convinced that we have to stay curious with these sanctions and look at what's next, what's the next level, how can we have maximum imp- impact to turn the tide. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.